yeah, you keep yourself in good health, but nothing's going to train you for the trail like doing the trail. If healthcare is broken, who's working to fix it? I'm Dr. Charles O'Malley. And I'm Dr. Justin Geisinger. This is More Than Medicine. first met Soren West when he came into our clinic uh, with this crazy story about how at age 75 he hiked the whole Appalachian Trail non-stop with a torn rotator cuff and a myriad of injuries and I thought oh I gotta talk more to this guy this guy's pretty awesome yeah I'm glad that you really got him to come out of his shell and, and speak up because, <laughs> uh, it was a very entertaining story to hear how he got through the Appalachian Trail with all the setbacks but it was able to persevere yeah, I mean, he's a lawyer by trade, and, uh, you know, he decided, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make this happen. It was a childhood dream of his, uh, and he did it, and he's one of the oldest people to ever do so, and um, we just had to share his story with you guys, so uh, we hope you guys really enjoy it. Yeah, it's certainly one of the more entertaining storytellers I've ever heard. Excellent. Well, here we go. All right, Soren, thanks for uh, joining us here this morning. Um, so let's just get right to it. I mean, you know, obviously... Uh, you hiked the Appalachian Trail. You're one of the oldest people to ever do it straight through, uh, which is an incredible accomplishment um, in its own right. Uh, and then you also did it with your dog, which is you're the oldest to ever do it with a dog, correct? I think that's true. I don't know okay. if they actually have statistics on that. Okay. Well, so. we'll just say you are. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's easier that I like way. It. Yeah. Um, but, you know, outside of the Appalachian Trail, what, what is something about you as a person that, that might surprise us or, or we wouldn't know otherwise, just so we can get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, uh, well, I'm probably a bit of a loner, which seems to work for the trail. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had lots of interests in life, language, I've studied three, uh, played the piano as a kid. Uh, somewhere along the way, I got involved in aviation cases and I had to go out to the airport to learn some things and one thing led to another and I became a pilot and I had my own plane for a while. One of my best adventures was flying up to Cape Breton in uh, Nova Scotia and lots of stories about flying but we're not here for that. Nope. But I, I don't know about any one surprising, I love to write Okay. and that's how I digest what I've done on the trail and I'm still writing about it. Okay, so that's what I was going to say, did you do much writing on the trail or is it more what I did on the trail, I brought a guidebook with me and I cut it up into eight sections. I was always surprised when I saw somebody who had the whole book and I would carry just the sections that I need and I wrote in that as I no longer needed the text but um, you could see through what I wrote and I would just take notes on there and then I took only 23,000 photos. Oh, okay. And so that helped me uh, recall day by day so I'm writing in retrospect. <laughs> Um, so, you know, obviously the Appalachian Trail is a very daunting uh, task. So were you a big hiker before all this or, you know, kind of how, how did this all get started? My brother and I uh, lived in suburban Connecticut and we kind of hung out in the woods quite a bit. We had, uh, what was it, uh, army surplus stuff post Second World War. And uh, we got to know some camping gear. We, we slept out in a hurricane, I think, in 1958. 
so we were always kind of outdoor people. I went away to camps from age six until 13. And in the last camp I went to three years in a row, three summers, was on Lake Quinnipesaukee in New Hampshire. And from that camp we hiked 67 and a half miles of the Appalachian Trail in the White Mountains of New Hampshire over a five-day stretch, and that was the genesis of everything. Okay. Now, had, and had you done other sections prior to your through hike, or the Appalachian Trail? Uh, two years after I did the, the stretch in the uh, White Mountains of New Hampshire, I said to a roommate of mine, "Let's do the entire trail." Uh, and that just kind of stuck in my mind. It didn't happen then, but it was has been in my mind since I was 14 years old. And it was kind of something I wanted to do the whole trail. So I, I didn't have any particular desire to do sections of it. As it turns out, some gals asked me would I join them on a trek in New Jersey on the AT, and I did do some of that, I think, in 2004. I did another trail preparing to do the AT. Uh, which was the Horseshoe Trail in Pennsylvania that ends with a 3.2-mile stretch on the AT to get down to the road. So 43.2 miles, uh, perhaps, is what I did, but not intentionally. Okay. I did a lot of trails to prepare, though. Okay. So then how did you really start laying your groundwork to decide, all right, it's time, good to do the entire hike? Uh, that's a fascinating development in my own mind. <clears throat> um, just recently I was at dinner with one of my sons and I said, you know, I don't recall talking a whole bunch about the Appalachian Trail. And he said, oh yeah, Dad, we heard you talking about the trail. <laughs> so I guess ever, you know, ever since uh, that initial thought to do it, I've been mentioning it periodically. But it wasn't until 2005 when I realized that I was going to turn 65 in 2006, that I remember right where I was in my house saying to myself, gosh, wouldn't it be neat to celebrate my 65th birthday on Katahdin, which is the northern end of the Appalachian okay. Trail. Mm -hmm. That's when I kind of, I, I won't say I locked onto it, but as it at, at that moment, but in fact I did. Okay. You know, and from that day forward, uh, every year I would say to my family in my office, if I can close my office at the end of the year, uh, I'm going to start next spring. And that was ten years. It took ten years to make it happen. Okay. okay. But it was just bingo. There it was. Just sat there like a, like a, the white my white whale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> And then, so, you know, obviously there's a lot of physical preparation that goes into it. So you have to get gear and supplies and, and you know, practice. You said you, you know, did a, did a couple hikes to practice. What was your, you know, methodology or, or how did you decide what gear you were going to, to get and, and what physical training you were going to do? You know, uh, it's interesting. It wasn't really kind of an intellectual concept of what I'm going to do. I just knew I wanted to do the trail. And when you think that way, when you have a goal that just captivates you, you, you find that you end up taking the steps that you need to take to make it happen. Okay. I went around to uh, different outfitters, went down to REI in Baltimore, 
pick their brains, talk to all kinds of gear. You meet people that have done trails. You get talking about them. I contacted the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, and I asked for hikers. Uh, do they have a list of older hikers? Because I'd like to talk to them. What are some of the issues you face as an older hiker? Oh, just to interrupt. Was, yeah. Was a walk in the woods at all and your, your guidebook for this? <laughs> Not, <laughs> <laughs> Not in the slightest. That's pure entertainment. You know, that that is not the guidebook, yeah. But anybody asks you, have yeah. you got to walk in the woods, yeah. And I read that years ago. I read it again on the trail. But uh, not that I carried it. I was at a hostel. But um, so then I, uh, I got books. I read books. I watched YouTube can be fast, you know, fascinating and sure. very helpful. You just plunk in hiking the Appalachian Trail or just Appalachian Trail. You get a slew of you. YouTube videos, and a lot of them are very, very good. Some people just have a knack for want, you know, guiding you effectively through th preparation and the type gear. You'll have people, they'll lay out their gear for you and they'll explain exactly why they chose this piece, that piece, and another piece. They did all that stuff. And as far as hikes were concerned, uh, I knew I needed to find out whether I could do this, sure, uh, and f from all levels, uh, of course, to try out gear, uh, try out food, what's going to be the kind of food I want, try out medicines if I needed any, because I had sore knees and so forth uh, way back when. I learned in my preparations that I was going to need knee surgery, which I did get, uh, partial okay. replacement of my left knee, because I found myself backing down mountains, because I couldn't stand it frontwards but um, I ended up and I say I it's really we and my wife gets a kick out of my talking about Theo as if we decide things together but Theo my golden retriever and I did 410 miles of hikes uh, just getting ready okay and, and we learned a lot and we sure. learned a lot about up here you know yep. the, the mind and that's, and that's the part I'm most interested in because, yeah, I mean, obviously there's books and, and things like that that you can say, oh, okay, here's a nice lightweight pack, here's a lightweight tent, you know, whatever. But, you know, Justin and I being physical therapists, you know, a lot of times we give patients, you know, three exercises and we're hoping they do one of them, maybe two of them, a couple times a week. How did you stay mentally sharp and mentally prepared? Because, you know, you, you're probably waking up mornings and thinking, ah, oh, crap, I got to go back out there again. You know, how do you, how do you ramp yourself up to, to keep going, to put one foot in front of the other, um, you know, to make it to your ultimate goal? That's a good question. And I probably have an unusual answer for it. Uh, I had no difficulty, whatever. Hmm. Somehow I simply knew that I was going to do the Appalachian Trail. That thing had been brewing in me, and I, it wasn't like an, I'm chomping at the bit every year, mm -hmm. but it was just there. I, I think of, a, I love to think in metaphors, and I think of the, the whale, you know, the whale sounds, and he's down under the ocean, and then vroom, he breaches, and you see him. Well, when the Appalachian Trail came to mind in, as I approached 65, the whale had breached. I saw him. I knew I was going to. I knew what I was looking at, and okay. I knew I was going to do it. There are people who do wake up and say, oh, gosh, do I do another day or do I quit? And a friend in Columbia, PA, whom I met on the trail, didn't know him before, 
he showed me his guidebook and he had written across the whole page, don't quit. I never ever had that. Somehow okay. I knew when I started that I was going to set foot on Katahdin and I started in the south. Uh, to the point that I took a picture of my naked torso in the south because I knew it was going to look a lot different <laughs> when I finished and I wanted to see the comparison okay. and I knew I would, I would be there. Okay. So, uh, you know, that might be a disappointing answer in a sense, but it was just so deeply rooted uh, that uh, I finally was saying yes to something that it just has been a part of me. And in my writing, I find myself, you know, returning periodically to the benefits and the blessings of having said yes and actually going out and doing it. So it's just been a part of me. So now knowing that, which one was more challenging? It sounds like mentally it wasn't very challenging. Was it physically challenging then on your body? I mean, you mentioned the partial knee replacement. And yeah. Were there other things that physically are like, oh boy, yeah. i got to try here. Yeah, it's, uh, it was interesting. Uh, starting out, well, just to back up for a second, a lot of people say, how do you prepare for the trail? And I did do regularly I exercised for about 22, 25 years, somewhere in there, before I ever started the trail. It wasn't for that. It was just to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. But in retrospect, um, I had been a member of a health club, and then I quit that, and I just did my own stuff in the garage and road walking with my dog, the road walking. And it, we used to do four miles in under an hour with four hills, and again, in retrospect, I say, wow, that was really, really good for the dog mm -hmm. because his paws never gave him any problems. I think being on the pavement oh, yeah. was really good for him. Um, <clears throat> so, but another, and I think reasonable approach is, yeah, you keep yourself in good health, but nothing's going to train you for the trail like doing the trail. Mm -hmm. And start out slowly you know do what you can do and build up they say it takes three weeks to get your trail legs under you I think it took me closer to a month and a half uh, or more and you do after a while start feeling you got your trail legs under you you're strong you can do what you're doing but starting out it's it's tough I know in uh, there's a hostel called the top of Georgia hostel which tells you where it was and the owner was a former ranger, and he was saying, I know what you're thinking, folks. He gave talks at night, and he said, uh, you're wondering, if I'm only going to do eight miles a day, how the heck am I ever going to finish the trail? <laughs> and that's what some people started out at, at about eight miles a day. And then, okay. you, then you find out you can get up to 10, 12, 15, 20, some people, not me. Uh, I did have some 20s. But uh, my average was about 10 miles a day. Okay. And it, in the south, I was really surprised. The mountains in the south are pretty steep. They're not rocky and rugged like those in the north. But, uh, in fact, they're dirt, pretty clear dirt trails. But some of them are steep, and I used to dig those trekking poles in to pull my upper body forward. And then I'd push off uh, on top of the poles as I brought my torso up and 
worked really, really hard on some of those climbs. And you eventually adapt, uh, but you know, I came to the philosophy that up is up. I don't care if it's a thousand feet or, or 25 feet. You know, if you're fighting gravity, you're working. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'd see a profile of the trail that was kind of gentle, but within those gentle undulations in the profile you're reading in your guidebook, uh, you're still working. Mm -hmm. okay. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. Just kind of a matter of how hard you're working. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you, you know, you eventually get into a rhythm and you just keep going. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, the, the reason I know you is because uh, of your shoulder injury right, that, right. that you sustained on the trail. So can you talk a little, bit about, a little bit about that, how you were able to push through that, and then any other injuries or, or anything that might have come up along the way sure. that, that either slowed you down or just made mm -hmm. you focus in uh, a little more sharply? Sure. Shall I give you all the gory details? <laughs> uh, Whatever we have time okay, for. Okay, I'm going to start out by telling you that I... As a five, six-year-old, I had a hernia repair, mm -hmm. and a couple of years before I started the trail, uh, it started bulging a little bit. I found in the south I had uh, post-nasal drip from something or other, so I'm coughing all morning, and that's not the good thing for a hernia. Yeah. So I eventually ended up taking a stick, put it down my pants, and I held my hernia in. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. With a stick. I called my doctor here in Lancaster, and I said, uh, I told him the story, and he asked me three questions. He says, uh, can you push it back in when it comes out? I said, yes. He said, is it painful? I said, no. He said, when you lie down, does it go in? I said, yes. He said, you'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. There you have it. And anyhow, so that was an issue, and I dealt with that the whole way. Okay. Are you going to be a patent name this stick? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did actually give the stick up in the north, but anyhow. Um, and then in uh, somewhere along the way, um, can't remember. Well, let me let me go to another point. I was really really happy with my boots when I started. I had mm -hmm. Merrill boots, uh, ankle high. And you learn along the way where the spots are that people will switch out of their winter gear to summer gear. And I switched out in Marion, Virginia, which is pretty near the start, a little bit north of Damascus, the start of uh, Virginia. And I got into a, a boot that was uh, low cut. And unfortunately, it's very hard to tell whether this is going to work for you when you're walking in the mall and trying the shoe out there. But uh, one day on the trail, and I realized the toe box was much too tight. Mm -hmm. I ended up getting interdigital blisters between my toes, and um, I had sore feet from southern Virginia just about to the border of uh, Vermont. Mm -hmm. Ooh, okay. And really bad. And I had stepped on a stone in the middle of my left heel, and I got plantar fasciitis. Oh, wow. And I didn't get rid of that until somewhere in Massachusetts. Somewhere I ended up getting diarrhea, which is just part of the life out there. Yeah. Um, I think I don't can't tell you where or why, 
but there is a phenomenon just called hiker's diarrhea because not everything's hygienic on the trail. Sure. And that lasted for a month to two. Oof, wow. uh, my doctor, when I stopped in Pennsylvania, wanted me to quit because he was afraid of dehydration. My son told me, Dad, you better get off the trail because of those toes. When I was in Pennsylvania, you may square the whole deal. I said, uh, Soren is his name. I said, Soren, I will amputate first. <laughs> uh, his re quick response, because he's very quick, was, okay, I'll send a sharp knife. Uh, but anyhow, when I got into southern Maine, I was really excited about getting into a double-digit day. In other words, 10, 11, 12, 13 miles. I'd been doing 6, 8, 7, and through the White Mountains. And I, I was going on a double-digit day, a double-digit day, a double-digit day. Wham! Down I went. Uh, and I hit my tooth on a root. Thank God it was a root and not a rock. Yeah. And uh, dislocated it, if that makes any sense. Couldn't shut my mouth completely, but I'm alone. I was alone 99% of the time with Theo. Uh, anyhow, I camped that night. Uh, did manage to eat my food. The next morning I get up and I'm holding my phone as high as I can to get to Rangeley, Maine to call. And I did get a dentist. And he said, if you can get here by 2 o'clock, I'll see you. I got there by 2 o'clock. He popped the tooth back in, stayed a night or two in uh, Rangeley, and I started out again. And then uh, in that fall and a prior fall over disguised barbed wire off the trail, I wrenched my right shoulder, both shoulders, but my right worst. You know, I've got my pack on when I fall, so it's my torso going forward and a 30-pound pack making it all the harder, and your arms just naturally go out to protect you. Mm -hmm. Well, I jolted that shoulder several times. And it became almost, well, pretty much useless. And my wife mocks me because I called her and I, and I told her, I said, you know, my shoulder's not working at all, but you know, I've worked out this thing. I put my trekking pole through my strap and I can just rest my arm right there. I got a nice sling. <laughs> so <laughs> anyhow, on I went. And when I got to uh, Munson, Maine, which is the start of the famous 100-mile wilderness where you don't see any civilization until you get to the base of Katahdin, and then you don't see any there either. And that's the very finish of the mm -hmm. trail. Anyhow, um, I knew I had to get my right shoulder aspirated. It was hot and sore. So I go into Greenville, Maine, to a hospital. They're, they aspirate it. They get out 45 cc's of cloudy fluid. And they, want, they put me in a hospital for four days on uh, vancomycin, IV antibiotics, because they didn't want that infection to get in mm -hmm. the bloodstream and then into my, my knee replacement. Right. So, uh, and then the doctor comes into me into my room and he says, uh, I think we should operate. And he said he wants to clean out the bursa, yada, yada. And I reason with him that... From what I understand, if I really had infection in the shoulder joint, I'd have a lot of pain. He said, that's true. I said, I don't. And if I had infection in my bloodstream, I would have an elevated temperature. He said, that's true. I said, I don't. And I said, I'm not going to do the surgery. You know, Because I hiked over 2,000 miles, and you're just not going to say, oh, my. I guess, right. I, I guess it's over. Yeah. You know, you're going to do it. Period. And it's, again, it was that mindset. Sure. I mean, my mindset wasn't, oh my, do I have to keep going? It was, nothing's going to stop me. Right. You know? So, uh, 
I left the hospital on a Thursday, and there are complications to how I finished. But, well, do you want, can I go on to that? Sure. I'll, I'll tell you, because what I did, I saw while I was in the hospital that the weather in northern Maine uh, was going to be absolutely gorgeous for three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, and I left the hospital, now we're in October, I left the hospital on October 13th, and I got a shuttle 100 miles north to the base of Katahdin, mm-hmm. the, the Finnish. Right. Which and notoriously has very unpredictable weather. Very. And, and I saw that clear weather. I said, right. I'm doing it now. I'm getting it done because I might not be able to do it. So I did. Uh, I, I slept at a place called Abol Bridge that Thursday night. Then I hiked 14 miles to Katahdin and then did Katahdin on the 15th of October. We got up at 3 in the morning to get ourselves going. And by 5.30 I was back down and I did take my dog. Rangers begged me not to take him, but I... Right. You know. You weren't. I you weren't no going to leave behind. He, he came the whole way. He's going to finish. Anyhow, came back down, took the shuttle back to the 100-mile wilderness, and then on uh, Sunday, October 17th, I went through the wilderness. It took 10 days, and the last seven were rain and snow. My phone died from the rain. Uh, my fingers and toes were frozen. It took a month after I got home for them to thaw out. But when I got to the finish on October 27th at 1.45 p.m., my five millionth step, they tell you, I looked up at Katahdin in five inches of snow. Wow. Okay. Okay. So I did the right thing. Yeah. 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 And it was perfect. That's excellent. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, you know, just we kind of moved on from the shoulder, but just to let people listening uh, know, you actually tore your rotator cuff pretty significantly uh, yeah. in one of those falls. So you essentially did a large chunk of, of that with one arm. You know, that's that's pretty incredible. That's true. I did. And I'll tell you, as I was describing earlier, in the south, going up dirt, steep dirt trails, I would use those trekking poles mm-hmm. very heavily. Yeah. And they helped me a great deal. And they helped my, my legs. Sure. And I've met, met a lot of folks who did the trail with no trekking poles, and I can't understand that. One going over streams, just balance on rocks, whatever. But also the, the distributing the work across your whole body, upper body and lower body. Well, I didn't have that and you know you're you're burning. Uh, I mean, the legs work a lot harder without those upper body working. Yeah, I mean. But anyhow, I just—it's just the way it was. Right. You, you just had to get it done. You do it. So another area, uh, curiosity I have with this is about the nutrition and refueling with yeah. with hiking the AT. Uh, you know, we had talked briefly before about just the simplicities of life, like having coffee in the morning. Mm-hmm. There, but, so, like, what are some of the habits of uh, refueling while you're hiking the AT? I will tell you, uh, in fact, I've just been rewriting about a time in Damascus, Virginia, where I met a, a uh, hostel owner who did not lose any weight when he threw hiked the Appalachian Trail, and I asked him how he did that. And he said in the morning uh, he had nuts and raisins and brown sugar that he would put in his cereal and some other things that he would do on the trail for nutrition. 
and I was astounded that he didn't lose weight because I'd already lost 25 pounds by the time I got there. How much did you lose total? Total 30. Okay. When I when I came to the center of the trail, the psychological center, which is the Trail Conservancy in uh, Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, I mm -hmm. told them there, I said, well, I've already lost 25 pounds. And one of the people there just shot right back, oh, you'll lose more in the whites. <laughs> <laughs> she was absolutely right. But... I, I learned my favorite meal of the day was my breakfast. Uh, two packs of oatmeal, granola mixed in with it, uh, nuts, raisins, brown sugar, powdered milk, and while I'm getting all that ready, I've got three cups of water or more boiling in my stove, and I would pour about two cups onto that mixture of cereal, stir that up and eat it, and while that's going on, I would put... Uh, some Starbucks to that other and just let it sit there and steep while I'm having my cereal and I had some mesh uh, that I would put over the pot and pour out my coffee straining out the grounds and I'd have a good cup of coffee and maybe even a pastry uh, for breakfast. I loved my breakfast. Lunch became, when I was in the south I started out not really knowing what I'd want but I started out with meats and cheeses and butter and uh, whatever because it was cold and I didn't uh -huh. have to worry about you know uh, things rotting on me sure um, but then as I got midway and on to the finish I always had a peanut butter uh, flatbread uh, what do I want to say tortilla flat you know or uh -huh. something. I would roll peanut butter in it I quickly learned you don't put the honey or jelly in there because when you bite it it just squishes out the other end so I would have a, my spoon and a plastic jar that I put jelly in and I'd take a bite, put uh -huh. it on, put the jelly on each bite. And that peanut butter and jelly was my lunch. Peanut butter was the number one nutritional food that everybody used. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, you know, it's heavy. Yeah. Uh, but you'll, you take it. You, yeah. you just say it's worth it. But, um, so that was my lunch. My dinner, I gave up on dehydrated foods because they all taste the same even though they're cheaper and lightweight <laughs> I eventually went to freeze-dried foods uh, there are three mountain house backpackers pantry and good to go and uh, that I used and there were some there were some good ones they were really passable for supper and and that was pretty much it I also had crystal light just to you know flavor the water sometimes but Eating was a phenomenon on the trail. I remember in the south once I stopped at a campsite and they had a store there and I ordered two eggs, uh, toast, and bacon, and home fries. When I finished that, I ordered a biscuit and gravy. And when I finished that, I ordered French toast. <laughs> and when I finished that, I ordered a hamburger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you know the story, Charlie, of uh, an omelet. When yes, I, when I, I love was, the omelet story. <laughs> when I was on my way into the Whites, there was a... And, and these people that do this, they're called trail angels, and they come out with trail magic. They'll sit on the trail, and they'll have you all set up. This guy had a grill. He had, uh, he had 10 dozen eggs there with about another 50 dozen in his, in his truck down wow. the way on a dirt road. And he had, I said, the stove, he had coffee, he had all kinds of stuff. And he said, and I was alone, and he had a wooden sign he'd, he'd created. It said, welcome to the whites. So you know you're coming into some difficult climbs. 
He said, would you like an omelet? I said, I'd love it. He said, six eggs? I said, perfect. <laughs> and he said, now I have some uh, Polish sausage. I've got uh, cheese. I've got onions and peppers. Would you like any of that? I said, I'll take all of it. So he cooked me this six-egg omelet, and I wolfed it down. And when I was finished, see, trail angels know what they're dealing with. He said, would you like another? Huh. I said, I'd love it. <laughs> and he said, six or three? And I swear to God, it was just false modesty. I said, no, I'll do three. So, and he made another one. And so I had a nine-egg omelet, wow. and I could have had 12. <laughs> And I don't remember any sense of being stuffed. <laughs> and I got out on the trail, and it was a steep, rocky climb to the summit of uh, Musilaki, the first uh, mountain in the Whites in New Hampshire. So you're hungry out there. You burn a sure. lot. Sure. You burn a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine <laughs> eating a nine-egg omelet or the... 12 course breakfast that you had or you know whatever it was but but you're right i mean you're you're burning a lot of calories out there so you gotta you know you gotta refuel and uh you know you only get out what you put in so yeah. there is uh, a traditional challenge halfway at uh pine grove furnace here in pennsylvania the halfway mark on the trail is in pa uh and that's called the uh half gallon ice cream challenge which uh, I did not take. Okay. Uh, the idea is you sit down and you eat one half gallon of ice cream nonstop. <laughs> I don't know that I would need to hike the AT to. You know, some people, uh, it comes right back up. Sure. Uh, others want another bite. So, anyhow, I, I didn't bother with oh, that. Oh, man. Well, one, one final question I had was uh, about your uh, returning to life as normal. You know, after you've been out there, it's quiet, you're in the woods. At night after night, when you came back home, were you in your bed and you got up and went out in the yard and just slept in the yard because that felt more normal? Uh, I, I do know a through hiker that did do that. Okay. He, he came home, crawled into bed with his wife and uh, couldn't manage it. He, he got up, he went out onto his porch, set up his sleeping pad and his sleeping bag and slept out there. I didn't do any of that. But uh, it has been, it's, I'm not the same. Uh -huh. And I don't know that I ever will be the same. I have a motto, uh, and I, it is that the AT never ends. Um, it, it'll always be with me, and I guess when I reflect, it always has been with me since I was a kid. But, um, you know, I didn't, I, I, I don't like driving as much, you know. I don't, uh, I don't like it's difficult living in the pace of society. When you spend eight plus months with Mother Nature, trees, leaves, rivers, streams, uh, mountains, sky, somehow everything we have around us in society, in a way, seems artificial. Mm -hmm. You know, we need them because of the way we live. But I've had this experience where I realize I don't need them. And I do very, very well. And I'm, a, I'm comfortable with myself. I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. I'm getting exercise every single day. Uh, and the scenery's changing all the time. You don't know what's around the corner. It keeps you alert. Um, 
there's a mesmerizing dullness in a way that comes over us as we just routine day in, day out, day in, day out. I don't have the answer to that. I don't know if that means I'm supposed to move to Alaska and be on a TV show about surviving below zero <laughs> <laughs> or, or what the deal is. Uh, I don't feel that. I'm supposed to, I am where I'm supposed to be. But it's not been easy. Um, and, and there's a loneliness because, I mean, as you can tell, I love talking about it. I can't help myself. Once you open up the topic, I go. Um, but, but not everybody can understand what such an ordeal is. And you carry something inside inside yourself that is quite unusual and it's difficult to share. I, I know I'll be spending the rest of my life trying to come to grips with it and sharing it because I enjoy sharing it. I've given lots of talks and so forth. But uh, it's tough. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we could sit here and talk all day yeah. about this. I love, you know, all, all the different stories you have and things like that. But, you know, if, we, if you had to sum it up, you know, kind of one, you know, piece of motivation or inspiration or just a you know nugget of uh of, of you know uh, insight um to anyone who's either thinking about doing something like the Appalachian Trail or even someone who has more modest goals like they're just trying to get in shape or you know do something like that what would your your one piece of advice be or, or you know one little tidbit of motivation if, if you have that something inside you that one you know you should do or two you've always wanted to do find the way to say yes and do it uh, just you know I guess I'm quoting somebody but just do it I mean because it's uh, it's it's not going to go away and there's such a benefit and a joy and such fruition uh, to say yes and go accomplish something. Great. No, I love it. Absolutely love it. Soren, thank you so much thank for uh, for taking time. This was excellent, and uh, you know I'm always up for a good AT story. So uh, my pleasure. Enjoyed it a lot. Thanks a lot. You bet. We hope you enjoyed this episode of More Than Medicine. For more information about this podcast, who we are, and what we do please visit Justin's website, refinemove.com, and click the More Than Medicine tab. Once again, that's refinemove.com. Thanks for listening.